Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have to welcome back into the studio Penny Woodward. Morning, Penny. Morning, Pam. I've only just um, made my way in the door because it's a bit wet out there. It's it was very a, wet. It was a slightly tricky drive. <laughs> it was. I'm sure all so, the gardeners, are, if they're up already, are rejoicing, but it was very tricky on the roads. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you are heading out in your car or doing anything, be careful because there's water over the road in all sorts of places. Absolutely. Unexpected places. Yes, and slow down for goodness sake. Yeah, indeed. Even on the freeways, um, Mm. you know, there was water across the road on the Monash coming in in Mm. a couple of spots. So, you know, in in the dark, it's really hard to see. It is. And, um, yeah, anyway. Oh, we're all here safe and sound and dry. <laughs> well, sort of. I'm still dripping. Yes. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, oh, dear. We've also got to say a very good morning to Chloe Foster. Hi, Chloe. Good morning, Pam. It's very nice to be in here, although it took me about twice as long this morning because the rain was so heavy. Yes. yes. Indeed. But it means that there's snow on the, in the snow field, so that makes me pretty excited. If, if there's this much rain in Melbourne, <laughs> I think there's been about 50 centimetres of snow up in the Alps. Oh, this really? Weekend. Yeah, they've had heaps. Are you a skier? I am a skier. Ah. And I love alpine ecology as well. Yep. (laughs) We'll forgive you then. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay, yes, well, um, as I said, this is... This is great for the gardens because um, things were starting to dry out, certainly at my place. We haven't had rain all year, really. I know. It's been so incredibly dry. Mm. But now, you know, I went out to the car this morning and... I, th- I heard like water pouring down and I thought, oh, that doesn't sound very good. And I, I sort of turned around the corner a little bit and one of the st- there's a bit of a crack in one of the pipes and there was just absolutely gushing water. Oh. You really don't find these things out until you get a really good downpour. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, well, I'm going to get straight into uh, some community announcements. Um, first up... Uh, there's uh, some rose pruning, pruning demonstrations happening uh, up at our good friend Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbernane. The first one's coming up next Saturday, 23rd of June. That's uh, operating at 10.30 a.m. Then uh, the following Sunday, 15th uh, of... Sorry, it's not the following Sunday. It's two weeks after that, 15th of July, again at 10.30. And finally, the last one, Saturday, the 28th of July, and that one's at 1.30. So 10.30, 10.30 and 1.30, 23rd of June, 15th of July and 28th of July. Uh, they are all up at uh, Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane there. If uh, you want more details from them, Graham was on talking about it uh, Last week, and he will be uh, either he or Diana will be on again next week for our um, special gardening show radiothon, which of course is all coming up next week, and I'll talk about that a little later as well. Um, but you can get more information again there, or else um, go to uh, look at them online or give them a call up at the nursery, and they'll give you further information. There's no charge for those. Um, it's just a matter of turning up and bringing your secateurs um, so that you can have a hands-on experience with that. Now, uh, also coming up, 
Uh, and this is next Saturday and Sunday is a bonsai show. It's open to all bonsai enthusiasts and the general public. It's on Saturday 23rd and Sunday 24th of June, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on both days. It's being held in the Wandon North Public Hall. That's Warburton Highway, corner of Clegg Road, Wandon North. The Melway's reference there is uh, 119. Now, there's free entry, um, though they would appreciate a gold coin donation to help cover costs. Uh, there's a kids and beginners class Sunday between 1 and 3. Now, that would be really interesting for anyone who's always wanted to have a dabble but doesn't quite know where to get started. Uh, there'll be a Nikki Barna demonstration. Uh, and, of course, Ikebana is the Japanese art of flower arrangement. That will take place on Sunday, 10.30 to 12.30. There'll be a bonsai demonstration on Saturday, 1.30 to 3.30. And there'll be a members and trade table sales Saturday and Sunday. Now, also, of course, there'll be a great selection of bonsai and bonsai-related items. There'll be trees, starters and nursery stock, pots, books and tools, and uh, there'll be uh, diatomite, um, orchiata pine bark and orchid pots in various sizes. So it's a wonderful chance to go and see some beautifully crafted trees and to uh, pick up some uh, great and rare bargains. So that's all happening next weekend. As I said, Wandon North Public Hall, uh, 10am through to 4pm, both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. Now, um, also coming up next Sunday, the 24th of June, uh, Seeds Communal Garden have got their Winter Soup Fundraising Festival. Uh, Now, the Communal Garden is at 331 Albert Street in Brunswick. Uh, The Winter Soup Festival is happening from 11am through to 4pm. It's a great opportunity to connect with community and see how the garden has grown in the three years that they've been there. Now, the garden is connected to and shares the space with Milparinka Disability Day Service. They aspire to be a connecting point and resource for their community. There's going to be live music and performers, food prepared using produce grown on site, locally brewed craft beer, chai, coffee and kombucha, uh, communal weaving, sewing with boomerang bags. What's a boomerang bag? The, Something you carry bag, your boomerang no, in. No, no, I think they're ones that come back again. They're going to come oh. back to use them. Oh, keep right. using them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That would have been my guess. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take their word for it that yeah. it is a boomerang bag then because we don't know how many times well, it's come carry, back. You could carry a boomerang in it if you wanted to. <laughs> It'll doubly come you back reuse then. Them. <laughs> okay. okay. It's also going to have a healing space, children's activities, a mini market and a raffle. So that's all happening out at Seeds Communal Garden, 331 Albert Street, Brunswick, next Sunday, 11am through to 4pm. And uh, just a reminder, this is uh, one for the diary still, but one that you can book into now because bookings are open, Secret Gardens of the Dandenong Ranges. Now, it's taking place 17th to the 20th and 24th to the 27th of October. But this is where um, uh, you can jump on board a minibus and visit uh, some wonderful private gardens all uh, scattered throughout the Dandenong Ranges. Um, 
as you noticed or as you heard, um, it's run over two long weekends and um, each day trip actually visits different gardens. So you can go to more than one very easily and see a complete different range of gardens there. Now, to book um, and to have a look at which gardens are on on which day so that you can choose which day you want to book into, you need to go online and uh, the address is Secret Gardens of the Dandenong Ranges, all one word, .com.au. So Secret Gardens, plural, of the Dandenong Ranges, .com.au. And I highly recommend that. And our good friend Virginia will have her garden open as part of that this year. So uh, it should be great. I know it'll be great because I've been to one myself and it was absolutely wonderful. Um, I must uh, remind all of you, and I'll be reminding you constantly today, because next Sunday is our big extravaganza gardening show radiothon. We have uh, uh, lots and lots of goodies to entice you to donate next Sunday. We've got books, we've got seeds, tools, fertilizer, compost, um, subscriptions, nursery vouchers. It's all taking place next Sunday. We are running through till longer. We're running from 7.30 right through till 10 a.m. Um, we'll have a, a, a big uh, team of uh, uh, people who you're all very familiar with, all here in the studio that day. And when we come off air at 10 a.m., uh, we do invite you to come into the station from 10 till 12 to pick up your prizes, have a cuppa with us, um, yes, I am making the lemon slices again this year. I get into terrible trouble if I don't bring it in every year. So uh, I have already been busy in the kitchen, so there'll be, uh, I guarantee there'll be lemon slices for anyone who, who turns up. But we'd love to see you next Sunday after the show. That's from 10 till 12. But in the meantime, don't forget to, uh, to ring up um, next week. Um, Organise, tell uh, whoever's on the phones what, uh, what prizes you want to collect um, and uh, <clears throat> then make the pledge and then come in and pick them up. Uh, our address, of course, is 21 Street, uh, Smith Street. I'll say that again. 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy, just up from Victoria Parade. You can't miss the station. There's a big mural around the outside walls and it's very, very clearly marked. So uh, we are looking forward to seeing and hearing from you all next weekend. Okay, but in the meantime, on this very rainy morning, we'll try and um, entice you to at least think about gardening, even if it's a bit too wet to get out there just yet. Okay, Chloe, you've brought in some wonderful Australian natives there, so let's start by having a chat about some of them. All right. Um, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go with something very showy first. The very I, showy one. Yes. Yeah, we'll go with the very pretty one. So this is um, Grevillea sylvia, and it's a large shrub um, type of Grevillea, and it has huge pink flowers on it. They're sort of a candy pink. Uh, it flowers. Most Grevilleas sort of do flower sporadically throughout the year, but this one is in full flower all year round. It's just amazing. Um, we deadhead it when the flowers die off and then it just it just must keep promoting even more new growth and, and, and new flowers. So it gets to about, um, ours is only a few years old and it's probably only about one and a half to two metres at the moment. Okay. So it's not super, super fast growing or takes over anything, but um, I think it, it'll probably get to about that three to four metre range, mm-hmm. hopefully. And it's going to make a nice 
it's a, it's a large shrub, but it's a nice small tree as well. Yes, <laughs> so yes. It's, it's sort of in that in that cusp region. So, um, yeah, bright bright pink, Grevillea sylvia. It's very similar, and it's a close relative of Grevillea moonlight, which a lot of people have. Is yeah, really popular. Just, <coughs> I was just going to ask you that because the leaves are so similar. Yeah, yeah. yes, the leaves on the sylvia are slightly more grey, mm-hmm. um, but the, in the growth habit you know the way the openness of it which i really like yeah Um, yeah i think it's great yeah so it's an open sort of small shrubby (coughs) thing um with these big bright i mean you can see they're like a beacon oh yeah it's probably it's funny color is a really interesting perception thing because i would have called that a dusky pink okay to me that's a i you know because i don't like really really bright pinks yeah but i think that's a lovely pink yeah i I, yeah i go with candy pink okay <laughs> that's what I mean. It's no, that's good. It's like scent. It's very subjective, yeah, it's very, of course. It is subjective. subjective. Yeah, I just, I, I think it should be. It's not. I don't see it in a lot of re, like general retail nurseries. I sort of only see it at um, Australian native plant sales and Australian native nurseries. I just wish it was more, um, more available. Mm. In nurseries, I don't know whether it's because it's a little bit harder to grow than than the moonlight, or it's a newer it's a newer variety. But I know it's been around for long enough. Um, but yeah, I, I wish I think people I wish people would would use it more because it's just an absolutely beautiful uh, color, the flower and the foliage. I love the I love the foliage. It's it's and I'm wondering if that's why they've called it Sylvia because it is almost a silver. In colour, isn't it? That grey foliage. Yeah. It's really, really pretty and yeah. it's very fine and delicate. Very fine foliage. Yes, yeah. so um, and I it think does it's not a great one. either. <laughs> a lot of people yeah. yes. uh, uh, get, you know, rashes when, when they grow grevilleas. So yes. this one doesn't, this one doesn't itch. And I presume, like all the other grevilleas, it's very bird attracting in the garden. Yeah, the, bird, the birds go nuts for it. And because it flowers all year round, so especially at this time of year, our it plant is covered, a, so they've mm, got, the mm. birds have that option. They are a showier. Um, because it's a showy grevillea and the flowers are on the ends, are, are growing on the ends of the um, stems or the branches, um, it, it does attract the bigger birds as opposed to another grevillea, other grevilleas and one I've got here, another one I've got here today. Um, some some grevilleas have their flowers sort of closer in on the plant, which is probably more something for smaller birds. It's yeah, a bit more the, protected for yeah, them. They feel safer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So this is a, this is a very showy grevillea. So if someone's looking for um, you know, a, a feature plant or, or something that's going to attract bird, like lots and lots of birds, and the bees go nuts for it as well mm. on a sunny day. Excellent. Not, not a day like today. No, no, no. <laughs> it's covered in bees, and they're just having an absolute feast. So it's really nice to see. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's go with one more. All right. So we'll go with the other grevillea that I was talking about. So it's different to Sylvia in that this flowers. At the bottoms, the bottom of the stem, and it's it's it flowers sort of inside the plant. So this is this one here is Grevillea olivacea, the olive-leaved Grevillea. It's a beautiful large shrub, olive-shaped, olive tree-shaped leaves. And Mum and I planted this uh, a couple of years ago, and it, the plant's gone nuts. It's in a really hard-to-grow, clayey, exposed area of the garden, and it's it's just gone up beautiful green shrub we thought it's not flowering you know some grevilleas take a couple of years to flower yes they do when you first put them in but this one we're like oh this is this is a dud (laughs) (laughs) anyway we're walking around the garden about a month ago and i poked my head just to have a closer look at it as a plant nerd does and there were flowers 
in the very in the deepest oldest part of the plant. Right. So all the new growth, fluffy new growth, isn't old enough for the flowers yet, and okay. the flowers are all in, on the old growth, the sort of one year to two year old growth of the plant, right down the bottom, which isn't great for um, if you want flowers in your garden, yeah. if you want that floral display. But it'd be great for the little birds oh, yes. and any other little insects that want a little bit of protection. Um, so it's you know there's these beautiful showy flowers on it, but you can't see them. <laughs> so I, I think I'll give it a hard prune this year and see if we get if some you can bring them up to try to bring them up. Or yes, something. but it's interesting because the buds are forming yes. on the end of the branches. They are yes, so, they are coming. So it may be that in another month or so that you will have beautiful flowers. Maybe on they're the just end. slower and it starts Maybe. from the base. This this branch I've brought in yeah. is from. Inside, really, oh, okay. the plant, and the, the the growth up the top is just all green, fluffy. Oh, okay. It doesn't look like there's going to be flower buds yeah. on it anytime yep. soon. Okay. But I might leave it for a bit longer than I thought mm. and see and see, see what, what it happens. does. Because the flowers are gorgeous. Yeah, I they love are. the the really long stamens that mm. come out from the middle. It's mm. just superb. Yeah, they're and I mean the buds are a really nice, beautiful green. And when they're just sort of opening, you get sort of mm. a you know a bit of this reddy green. Uh, tinge about them, which is really nice. So, Grevillea olivacea, um, olive leaf Grevillea, comes in this red flowering form and a yellow flowering form as well. Okay. Um, very, and they're usually quite easily access, um, easy to buy from. I think most general retail nurseries have okay. this one as well. It's quite. Yep. It's a bit more of a um, well-known species. Excellent. Um, but yeah, again, it's a, one of the larger shrub grevilleas and it'd be a beautiful, I mean, you'd be able to hedge it. The, the one that we've got at home at the moment is just, is quite dense as it is and we haven't done much to it. Um, but so you'd be able to use it as a hedge or an informal screen or something. Okay. Something like that as well to, to block out an unsightly fence or neighbour or... Yes. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> so, sorry, what, what height would that get to, Chloe? Um, it would be probably... After a number of years, probably in the three to four meter range. As okay. Well. Yep, and maybe about two meters wide. Mm. Yeah. So it is one of the larger ones, but. Um, and and it's it looks as though it's got um, much firmer stems to it. Yeah, it's a very compared to the Sylvia. Yeah, so the Sylvia ha- does have finer stems. This is quite a woody. Yeah, so plant. it would really hold its its really its, holds its yeah. own. Yeah. So again, so probably windy spots as well. Yes. Um, would, that that would probably do well there. Yeah, yeah, it's a very it's a very woody plant. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's high time I invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you would like to ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team. We have Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster in the studio this morning, and we'd love to hear from you. That number nine four one nine zero one double five. Well, this morning we have Jan on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Jan, the number is nine. Four one nine eight three double seven. Now, Penny, um, last week, uh, and listeners will remember, we um, we had a lot of callers uh, ring in just towards the end of the program, and of course, we're always in a race to try and answer all the questions that come in. But um, we did have three questions we just couldn't get to last week, and I promised that we would um, we would tackle them uh, today. So, um, three callers. The first uh, caller. Uh, was in Williamstown North and she rang in about um, the millipede she's got under her rubbish bins when it rains and the problem is they're coming into the house. 
We get certain times of year where millipedes become a problem, um, and it, particularly in, in wet weather. Down our way, uh, we have the Stony Point line. I'm not sure whether I've told this story before, but um, which has a sprinter train on it. And they used to only ever run one sort of carriage because it wasn't a huge number of people um, on the getting on the line. But at a certain time of year, you had a particular weed called fairy grass where all the seeds got on the track. And at the same time, you had millipedes. Oh. The tracks were completely covered in millipedes. So the train started not being able to stop reliably at the station. Yes, right. So because of the, because of the millipedes, wow. they'd, they'd, tiny they'd bypass the station or you know start stopping and yes. then slide past the station. Oh. Um, so they had to start putting on two carriage trains, which meant they couldn't run as many trains. So, But this whole... So this is just a small anecdote about yes. what's the problems that millipedes the Problems with millipedes, yeah. Um, but look, at home, they're actually not doing any harm. Exactly. So, uh, my solution to them is to vacuum them up, take the vacuum bag and empty it down the back of the garden because it takes them an awfully long time to get back in. <laughs> I would not be poisoning. Um, no. I, I just because they're not doing any harm, they're exactly. not feeding on plants, they're not going to eat anything when they come inside, um, they're not doing any harm really under your rubbish bin. I have one of those little um, rechargeable vacuums that you can go around and quickly pick up, you know, things if they're outside or inside or in awkward places. And I use that if there are millipedes around. Mm. But mostly I just leave them alone. Yes, so would I. Um, so, I, yeah, I vacuum them up and empty them somewhere down the back of the garden. Um, now, it has, yeah. been, it has been said that if you leave an outside light on, that can attract them it, into the it, house it can, as well. Yeah, it can sometimes. And we shouldn't be leaving too many outside lights on. No, exactly. you don't have to because that disrupts all the microbats too. Yeah. So. And it's a waste of energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. I mean, obviously you need to leave, some, leave them on sometimes for safety if yes. you're out and you're coming home and stuff like that. But, oh, sure. But, yeah, don't leave outside lights yeah. on. And, of course, I think, too, they're encouraged to come out. You see them more in the rain. It, yes. They're, they're escaping the rain. They're getting into dry spaces. They're, yep. They're coming inside for yep. that reason. But just vacuum them up. Exactly. Yes. Is my advice on that one. And hopefully hopefully <laughs> in the house you don't get and, them and, out to the extent of the yeah, railway trash. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that they don't, they're not there for that long either. So you only have to do it for, you know, sometimes it's up to a couple of months, but usually it's less than that. Yes. So, you know, usually just, when, the weather, when the weather gets a little bit wetter and yeah, colder. That that's they sort right. Of, yeah. yeah. They, Yes, yeah, so over the Thanks. next little bit, you're likely to see quite a few of them around. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, after a while, it, everything stabilises and, and, you know, they're not there so much anymore. Mm. So. Good. Okay. Uh, the next question that came in, this was from Jan uh, in Ashburton. Um, she had a tamarillo that died on a very hot day. It had been very happy up until that. Um, she has bought a new tamarillo, wanting to know if she can plant it in the same spot. Uh, look, it's a tricky one. I would not usually put the same plant back in the same spot if it died for sort of unknown causes. My suspicion is that it just got too dry. Tamarillos really need plenty of water. They're mm. big-leafed, almost tropical plants. Mm. They don't like too much sun. Um, and I think that we had such a dry summer that we just didn't realise how much our ground was drying out and how little water plants were getting, and that's exactly the situation where a tamarillo will suddenly die. Um, but there is a possibility that there is a fungal problem. Yep. So I would be putting it somewhere else. But, look, if you've got nowhere else to put it, then put it in to there because I, I think it probably wasn't a fungal problem. But I can't guarantee that. No, that's right. So um, put it somewhere else if you can. 
but um, um, as well as as well as that, <clears throat> they like plenty of moisture, but they all like also like good drainage, don't they? They do need good drainage, and I've actually found that they like a fair bit of shade. Mm. Um, they really, where I was growing mine, it got no no westerly sun at all. It got some morning sun, and it did really well for the seven years that yep. th- that they're supposed to survive. Um, but they are short-lived perennials, so you know you do need to understand that you'll lose them mm. um, after about seven years mm. anyway. They are easy to grow from seed, so you know at the fifth year or something, collect, yeah, collect keep some the of the seed, seed and I've try to grow for it. I've actually got some seed from mine. Yeah, yeah, good. Need to plant it right at this moment, which I haven't <laughs> done yet. But yes, and I think also to mulch them well. Just yeah. to hold yeah. that yeah. moisture in. Too. Yeah. Yeah. So to keep the moisture in, good drainage yeah. and not too much sun. Yeah. I've yeah. seen them growing in, in a more exposed area and you do get fruit on them, but it wasn't yeah. as, it was smaller. Yes. It was a, it was a lot yeah. smaller. Yeah. 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 Okay. And the final question. Now this came from um, John out in Ringwood. Um, how to prune blackberries and when? I, look, I have to say it made me <laughs> laugh because um, the only blackberries we've got down our way are the wild blackberries. And Which you want to eradicate. I'm digging them up. Although yes. I have this one patch where each year I go, it's on actually on the beach and you've got to walk some distance to find them. And um, each year I go and harvest enough blackberries over the summer to make enough Blackberry jam for my husband for the year. As long as nobody's <laughs> spraying them. They're not. It's Good. too far away. Nobody would bother doing, okay. doing that walk to yep. spray them. Yep. That's why I feel safe. The only problem is that as the sea is gradually washing away the, the dunes behind, my blackberries are gradually disappearing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... But if you're growing blackberries, and there are actually some really nice thornless blackberries around, the idea is to prune twice a year. So you prune in spring, um, you tip prune, and that encourages extra branches. So instead of getting the great big long trailing branches, you, you get divided branches and so you get more fruit. So just um, really early in spring before the flowers start forming. Mm, how much um, would you take yeah, off? Well, tip pruning, it will depend how long the 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 trailing stem is if yep, it's a relatively okay. short stem then just take just the very a bit, tip off if it's a longer one then you could take, take it back a bit 15, more 15 20 centimeters off okay. depending on how long it is and the other time of year that you prune is in um after fruiting so in summer and you the um, blackberries uh, fruit on second year canes so you need to take off completely anything that's borne fruit so you, you look at where you've picked fruit from and you cut it off right down as far as you can go um, without cutting off other branches that are going to produce your fruit. Yes, right, year. right. So that's the main thing that you do in summer. And obviously anything that's heading off where you don't actually want it to go, it's mm-hmm. a good time to cut it back yep. then. Yep. Yeah. So those two. Okay. Times. Excellent. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, as I said, we have uh, Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster in the studio this morning. Uh, the number is 94190155 or to speak to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. We're going to go to our uh, first caller and uh, we have Tori out in Kangaroo Ground. Good morning, Tori. Good morning. Yes, go ahead. Okay, um, looks like I might be moving house and I want to take a lot of my garden with me. So I just wanted to know which things I shouldn't bother taking because they won't transplant. What, what, what are some of the things that you kind of want to take with you? Well, of course, the deciduous trees, but I'm not sure how big is too big for them. Um, got like a bottle tree. Um, I've been madly taking cuttings of all my salvias and 
yeah, good geraniums idea. and things, so yeah. that's fine. But, um, yeah, it's mainly the bigger trees and the natives. Um, the yeah. bottle trees are definitely transferable. Great, it's um, only little anyway. So. Okay, yeah, they're, they sort of, they're a bit succulenty. In nature, so oh, right. yeah, they they transplant quite well. When I used yep. to work at the zoo, um, they transplanted one of the bottle trees. Or it wasn't a true bottle tree; it was in the brachycarton genus. Mm. Um, that was, they transplanted that very advanced old tree three times. Wow! Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and I've heard of other bottle trees um, being transplanted quite easily yep. too. So, that one should be fine. Right. What are some of the other ones you've got? Oh, well, I've got, you know, all the deciduous trees, um, you know, maples, um, paratea, persica, um, Chinese tallow wood. I think they'll all be fine. Yeah, look, my reaction is I would transplant whatever you can um, yeah. and whatever you've got the energy to do because most <laughs> most plants are, trans, you know, transferable. It's probably the best time of year to be doing yeah. it for yeah. most things. Um, yep. And, you know, just make sure you get a decent root ball size, yeah. yep. um, get them back into the ground as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, obviously, you're cutting off a lot of roots when you're digging them up. Yeah. So when you plant them, um, prune the prune the tree above so that yeah. you're not putting yep. too much pressure on the roots. And a seaweed solution and a seaweed when you plant solution, it again. Um, yeah, water the, to water it back in when you sure. plant and it. And things like the acacias, just like, you know, like ones that are about a metre high, I would have oh, thought okay. they'd be fine as well. Give it a go. Oh, okay. Sometimes yeah. they... Yeah. I haven't done it before with acacias. It'd be interesting to see yeah, what happens. I, I wouldn't do a big acacia no, because they tend to be short-lived Yeah, anyway. exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah. if they're only a metre high, I would have no issue with moving them. Um, oh, okay. And if you just, like it, you may as well take it with you. Yeah. And if it leaves, it leaves. If it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, Thank good you. luck. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah. <sighs> As I said, uh, if you'd like to phone in this morning, 94190155 or to speak to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. Penny, let's talk about some of the wonderful coloured salvias you've got. I mean, they're just gorgeous bunch. I planted a lot of salvias quite a few years ago um, and I... um had, I lost the names of a lot of them, so I had to do a bit of <laughs> You're research. You're not the only one. I had one. to do a bit of research on this, but one of my favourites is this one here, which is, um, you see the species of it quite a lot, but this is a cultivar of the species. So what I'm showing you is it has huge leaves, it's really tall growing, so it can get up to three metres high and two metres across, and that's what Beautiful. some people don't understand about salvias, mm. is that they can get huge. But it has these deep purple black bracts mm. and Bright red flowers, bright it's bright just, red they're large flowers, Darning. and they're, they're, they're really big, yes. they're really big flowers, and they grow on the end of these arching spikes. So you need somewhere that you can let it be really dramatic. So this one is Salvia jesnerifolia um, tequila. So Salvia jesnerifolia, you see a bit of. Can, mm-hmm. you, can um, you spell jesnerifolia? G e s n e r i f o l i a. Jesnerifolia with a G, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I just love it. It's tied in with a very dear friend of mine who died last year, and I first got it from her garden. So it's a, it holds a place in my heart anyway. Um, but it is—it's just such a gorgeous plant, and it—I cut it back hard as you do with salvias once a year, and and because I've got it in a spot where you don't see it until it's got really tall again. 
I sometimes I walk out the front and suddenly realise that it's <laughs> oh, there again. Yeah. It's such a buzz. <laughs> yeah. so, it's so nice. So the flower, so the flower one. spike on it is huge. Yeah, it'd well, be it, up thirty centimeters. It would be. Yeah, yeah, and it does get longer than that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so that's um, so that's gorgeous, and it just keeps that's soft foliage. And it's yeah, a lovely it's lime green foliage, foliage yeah. too, which really sets it off. Yes. Now, when you cut it back hard, do you go, you know, with about an inch of its life? Um, some years, yes, yeah. and some years I'll do it not quite as much. Right. So it depends the spot that it's in. Sometimes I need the leaves to fill up the spot a bit yeah. more. Yeah. Um, so it depends what's happening in the rest of the yeah. day, really. <laughs> But they, I love them because you can do whatever you like to them and they still come back beautifully. Um, so this is this is a bit like the, um, the I think it's called the fruit salad salvia, but it's it, it's um, salvia kawinskii. And it has these big bunches of um, deep, I call this musky pink too. You'd probably call it... Um, <laughs> candy pink. Candy, candy pink. pink. Candy pink. <laughs> yeah, they're similar yeah. colour, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, this forms this huge flower head. So rather than this long, sweeping, elegant one of the Jesnerophilia, it, it's they're slightly shorter, but there are a lot more flowers mm. in it, and and they're this really beautiful pink. Um, but I, as much as anything, love what they look like on the end yeah, before really the flowers open yeah. properly, where all you can see is the bracts, and they have this sort of greeny purple Looks a colouring, wheat-like. Yeah, like almost. Yes. Yeah. So it, it has lots of. Um, but again, this is a huge plant. So I, I've actually intended to move it several times because it's right next to a path, and every year I have to get in there and cut it back, and I think oh, I've got to dig that up and move it. And I forget, and something <laughs> happened, and all the rest of it. Those two would look great planted together, um, wouldn't they? Oh, the, Don't you yes, think? Yes, the grevillea and the no, 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 no. The grevillea and the salvia would look wonderful. Yeah. And they go, they both grow in a really hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one will need a bit more water, but it mm. is in a spot where I don't water much. Yeah. It gets a bit of the drip system, but that's all. Um, uh, this one does get pretty big, though, so mm. it's not as if you could grow this one under the grevillea. No, no, no. They'd actually be. be a you could alternate similar, them or have them in a similar yes, height. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, and the um, the other one is actually um, a form of of this one, the Kowinskii. Um, that hasn't completely come into flower yet, so that all you can see are the little buds. The but break. that's so attractive. It's yeah. gorgeous, and I love it at this stage. But eventually it does what it does, Kowinski yes. eye does, but okay. the flowers are darker. Okay. So this is a Timboon form of the Kowinski eye, mm-hmm. which, I, again, I just love. But it's, this one I did actually move because I put it into a spot where there just wasn't room for it. And <laughs> I moved it, and it's growing in a really, really tough position where it gets no water. Um, and every now and then I, I sort of squirt a bit of water in its general direction, but it just keeps coming back each year, um, and it's and it's gorgeous. And, and the leaves are slightly darker too. I was going to yes. say um, a bit darker, yeah. Yeah, so I really like like that slightly yeah. darker. But that leaf. darker foliage is really yeah. offsetting the, the, um, the, the burgundy the of yeah, the yeah, bugs, yeah. yes. Yeah. So when the, when the actual flowers come out, they're more pink. Oh, okay. They're they're a slightly darker pink than the cowboy. Okay, I I love it at that stage. I think that's really attractive. Wow. And then the other one, which is it, it, it's a bit um, more diminutive. It doesn't grow as tall, and the flowers tend to hide. But I just I love it because the flowers are almost black. It's quite dramatic. But they have this they have this sort of the lime green calyces down the Mm. down the bottom. You know, not well, not really lime green, but they're. Lime, but they're, um, I can't think of the word, 
But they just look amazing They're against silvery. the almost silvery. Yeah, they silver, are silvery, a yeah. silvery lime almost. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the the flowers are, you know, they are almost black, aren't yeah. they? They're a sort of bit like a bit like your grevillea, where the flowers are hidden because they hang down. You don't see the flowers unless you sort of pick the branch up and mm. look at it. But but I actually really like that about it because mm. it sort of gives you a surprise. That's again. beautiful. I love that. I, yeah, I, even the calices are gorgeous. Yeah. So this is this is discolour, um, salvia discolour, which is just gorgeous. So you can have those cutting. I'm just going to stare. I'm not going to talk for the rest of the. I'm just gonna stare. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a really interesting little it's plant. Sticky? I, it's sticky. Yeah, it is. Sticky. It is sticky, and it's got quite a nice scent to it as well. So, oh, it does. And a lot of the plants, a lot of the salvias have a nice scent mm. to them. And we were talking about birds before. I mean, these. Like salvias in the garden are the bird's salvation. In yep. Oh, yes. Um, yep. But it's not only that. There's also the seed-eating birds. Um, they're really important for the seed-eating birds when they get to seed-forming time. Um, and they're so important for beneficial insects. Mm. So having some salvias in your garden in winter will really help to keep the diversity of your garden going. Right I managed to crowbar a salvia into every garden design yes. I do because they're yeah. such a reliable plant as well. They are. You can they prune are. them back really, really hard and they just keep growing yeah. back. Yeah. For me, the main thing you need to think about is how big they can get because mm. before I got into salvias in a serious way, I didn't realise how, how vigorous they could mm. be and I put all of them in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> and in some spots, I actually changed the garden to accommodate the salvia, okay. but in mm. others, I had to dig them up. And yes. Them. Yeah, I mean, they come in all, shape. they come in yeah. all shapes yeah, and sizes. Yeah, there are smaller, there are smaller yeah. diminutive ones, but I yeah. sort of thought they were all like that yeah, okay. until I planted them. <laughs> And, uh, oh, it and keeps then, growing. Oh, it's keep going. <laughs> realised how big they can get. So. <laughs> and they're so easy to grow from cuttings as well. I mean, you could, at home, yeah. you almost don't need any sort of hormone. You could just cut them off, strip the leaves off and put them in a, a pot of potting mix yeah um or com- well not not necessarily compost but whatever you've got lying around at home and you're pretty guaranteed that you're going to get roots on them mm. yes so they're yeah. very easy to propagate yeah. and and if you wanted to see some of these at the moment if you go up to the nobelius garden in the dandenongs um where the salvia display garden is they will all be there looking absolutely fabulous mm. um and if you want to know more about that you can just go to salvias.org.au okay which um you can see pictures of all mm. of these plants, yes. uh, you know, hundreds yes. of different salvias that has been put together by, by the salvia group of the Herb Society of Victoria. Fantastic. So, yeah, if you're going up into the Dandenongs, go up to Nobelius, which was the old plant orchard. and yes. It's a, it's a yes. beautiful place as well, but um, mm. it's well worth going just to see all the salvias, and they're looking stunning this time of year. And it's so wonderful to have, to have such bright colours in the garden during wintertime. Yeah. Yes. It yeah, really it is. It's really important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay, we're going to uh, have a quick uh, listen to a message. Faithful Gardeners, it's time to turn on and tune in to our annual Radiothon on Sunday the 24th of June from 7.30 to 10am and help keep your favourite gardening show growing. Listen in on Sunday the 24th of June and call 9419-8377 for great deals on seeds, new organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and new green focus book titles or make a tax deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio. Join us at the station after the show from 10 till 12pm to pick up your prizes, have a cuppa and say hello. Dig deep. 
for the 2018 3CR Gardening Radiothon, 7.30 till 10am on Sunday the 24th of June. I love trees with all their lovely leaves, lifting up their branches to the sky. And, of course, uh, that was a very unsubtle reminder to you all that uh, our big extravaganza gardening radiothon is on next Sunday. Um, We will not be having our normal programming. Uh, That will be suspended, but we will be madly trying to entice you to support 3CR and the gardening show in particular um, with lots and lots of wonderful goodies that you um, you can ring in for. Um, as I mentioned, there'll be lots and lots of books, there'll be um, seeds, uh, there'll be tools, there'll be fertiliser and compost, um, subscriptions to nurseries and magazines and uh, workshops, uh, there'll be nursery vouchers, there'll be um, all sorts of things for us to, uh, to really make it a great, great radiothon. Um, as you can imagine, the running costs um, for running a radio station like this um, just keep going up, particularly the electricity costs, of course, which are going through the roof for everybody, I know, but uh, 3CR does rely on you, our listeners, to uh, to basically um, donate to help us to cover the running costs of the station for the next 12 months. So, uh, as I mentioned, dig deep, and uh, we've got lots and lots of goodies to uh, to bribe you with. Uh, and we'd love to see you after the show when we come off air at 10 o'clock. Um, there'll be uh, plenty of station workers around. Um, I'll be here. Some of the other team will be here to um, catch up with you, say good day, and uh, have a couple with us. So uh, do come in next uh, week, 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy, just up from Victoria Parade. You can't miss the building. Plenty of parking in, uh, in uh, Smith Street, so uh, we'd love to see you then. In the meantime, of course, we would love to hear you right now. If you have a gardening question um, or a query, um, do give us a call. We've got Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster in the studio this morning. The number, 94190155, or to speak to Jan on the outside line, 94198377. Chloe, um... What have the friends got on at the moment down at Cranbourne? Have they got anything coming up? Or? Well, there's something on today, and I did get the go-ahead from Roger just before I started talking about it. Okay. Um, there's a workshop going on today. So it's starting at 9.30. If anyone wants to get out of the house but still stay dry, um, the Wildlife Corridors Workshop is on. So I'll just get up my little information about it. Um, it's there's some fantastic stuff yeah. happening in that there are some you've got some really good speakers coming and and the wildlife corridors are just so important. It is and it's it's good it's one of those things that's gaining a bit of momentum mm. at the moment as well. So I'll just run through some of the speakers that they've got today. Um, so I'll be focusing on um, wildlife corridors around ar- around the southeast of Melbourne. Mm. So um, Pat McWhirter uh, will be talking. Um, about sort of how government and residents can get involved in in wildlife corridors. Um, Daryl Argel is the past mayor of Hindmarsh Shire Council and um, one of the main people in in getting some wildlife corridors up and running around the Hindmarsh region in the late 90s. Uh, Sarah McClagan, who's done some work on the Southern Brown Bandicoots um, and and they're trying to get um, strips of habitat connected around the Kurirup 
Kuwi Rup. <laughs> Such yes. a mouthful. Um, swamp region. So she's uh, done a PhD thesis on the habitat use of, of the bandicoots and the threats to it. Uh, Chris Russell, the gardens RBG Cranbourne director, uh, will be talking as well about uh, backyards to biolinks and the roles that the botanic gardens plays in mm. that. He's a terrific speaker. He is a good oh, speaker. He is. He's a lovely yeah. man too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Associate Professor Rodney Vanderee, um, one of the world experts on providing safe access for animals over and below freeways. So I don't know whether you've seen any photos of... I have. I've actually driven underneath oh, them and you? then stopped and taken photographs. Yeah, and, yeah. So this is on the Hume. Um, yeah. When you get up towards Violet Town, that sort of area up there. There are these rope bridges right mm. across right across the road, and it's for the um, gliders. So they oh, okay. they were put there originally because they were finding that with the freeway that was too big a space for the gliders to go across, mm-hmm. and um, they're, they're the big gliders, not the sugar gliders. Right. I can't remember exactly what they're called, but um, Rodney was working for ARCU then, which is mm-hmm. the Australian Research for Urban Environment um, organisation, which has been disp- since been disbanded, but they did some amazing research. And they actually photographed these bridges and they have found that, um, and, and they did DNA sampling from them, and they have found that they are now crossing the freeway to the other side, Breeding on the other side, coming back yeah. again, you know, moving, yes. actually using yes. these bridges. Because roads are such, they just cut habitat yeah. straight yeah. down the middle. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So if you're going up the Hume Highway and you see these weird things going across the road, this is what they are. They're okay. These, and there's some in the, on the New South Wales side now as well. I haven't seen, um, I don't know whether Rodney had anything to do with the pygmy possum um, tunnel of love, they call them, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> up around Mount, yeah. at Mount Hotham and Buller. They, yeah. they go under the under road, the road. Yeah. those yeah. ones. So. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some in Canada mm. that go over the road yeah. for the moose to travel across, okay. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it, yeah. I, the, the interesting thing about this is that it's not just the gliders that are using it, but they've had lizards and possums and they've right. photographed amazing number of animals. They find it. They, it they, you know, they find it, yeah. the animals. Yeah. 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 So they'll be talking about urban and rural developments and sort of isolated pockets of vegetation and, and the speakers will just, they'll sort of... Talk to tell you how you can get involved and, and, mm. and create. We had the Habitat Garden about a month ago and then the Habitat Gardens workshop and then now with the wildlife workshop. So they all sort of tie in mm. together. Yep. They do, yes. Yeah. Um, that's start, so it's starting at 9.30 today and will run till around about 4pm in the Australian Garden Auditorium at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne Gardens. Uh, members are $60, non-members are 75 and students are $30. Um, we the credit card machine will be there, but cash is probably preferable. So yep. if anyone's looking so if you for had something else to do for today, yep, yep, this would be. And a you want to get out of the house? Thing yeah, to do. Yes. Yeah. So I presume the seats available. <coughs> yeah, there's still there's still some um, some spots available. And, um, and anyone's welcome. <coughs> we'll pull a chair up. <laughs> <laughs> do they need to let anybody know from the point of view of catering that they're coming or? I think usually at these events, people look after their own lunches. So they go oh, okay. to the cafe or they go to yes. the cafe first and order their the, lunch there or, is, they, right. or they bring their own lunch. Yeah. There's coffee and morning done. tea that's yeah. provided, but yeah. um, and I think we'll probably, you know, I don't think we're going to get a whole barrage of people from me talking about the workshop yeah. this morning. <laughs> yeah. If they get a few people, it's not going to be any inconvenience. No, no. no. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. So anything else coming up uh, a bit further uh, away with the friends? There's um, a day talking about um, 
regional botanic garden. So there's three, it's it's on the 12th of August, and there's three people coming representing regional botanic gardens. So John Bentley from Melton, Melton. he's the president of Melton Botanic yes. Gardens. I think he recently got Citizen of the Year for Meltonshire or something. He's Incredible done an amazing man. job, yes. I, the Melton Botanic Gardens, it's run by their friend group. Yes. And John is the president there. So, so there'll be John speaking about Melton Botanic Gardens. Uh, so it's kind of, they call it an armchair an armchair uh, tour through regional botanic gardens of Victoria. Um, Glenda Lewin will be talking about the Wildlife Art Museum of Australia, which they're working really hard on fundraising uh, money to get that up and running. It's headed by a small group of very passionate people um, to get this, uh, you know, something similar to what what Tassie has with um, MoMA, um, to get get WAMA up and running uh, in... In Hall's Gap. I love the names. <laughs> Whammer. Yeah, so uh, Glenda Lewin's going to be speaking about the plans they have for the Wildlife Art Museum of Australia. And Jenny Houlihan is a uh, part of the friends group of the Australian Botanic Garden in Shepparton, which is one of okay. Victoria's newest uh, botanic gardens. Mm-hmm. Ta- I think it's a Taylor Cullody and Lethlian designed garden oh, okay. who did uh, the Australian yeah. Garden as well. Yes. And it opened... I think it was earlier on this year or late last year, uh, the Shepparton, okay. the new Shepparton Botanic Garden. So um, Jenny will be talking about that and, you know, the, what they have planned and, and what's it's, it's mm. looking like at the moment. So this is on Sunday the 12th of August. So bookings are open already, uh, 9.30 until 12.30 p.m. again at the Australian Garden Auditorium. Uh, members are $15, non-members are 20 and students are $10. So um, this is obviously a given for you, but I think you need to make clear that this is about native Australian native garden. Yes, I should, botanic yes. gardens. Yes, yeah, so because we have a wealth of other botanic gardens. As you're well, right. But this is about Australian. Yes, yeah, so all of these botanic yeah. gardens are Australian. Yeah, uh, focus on Australian flora. Cranbourne. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so bookings are essential, um, as are most for most of our things. Uh, you can contact, if you have any questions or need a booking form, you can contact Jill Burness on 0402 477 590. Uh, you can go onto the Cranbourne Friends website uh, and download a booking form if you like, and that is rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au. It's fairly easy to find if you just get onto the Botanic Gardens site. Yes. You can just click yep. over to it. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a few. There's lots of other things going on, but that one's pretty. That one's pretty cool. Um, and if you become a friend, you actually get this wonderful Nature Link newsletter that tells you about all these events. <laughs> yeah. so right, you can put them in yes. your diary yes. in advance, and, and you get regular emails reminding. Yeah, yeah and reminding it's a really nice group of people. So yeah. I would recommend that everyone becomes a friend. Cranberry I would Botanical recommend Gardens. that too. Right. <laughs> We're there both members. Yes, yes. Yeah. indeed. <laughs> Great. Okay, excellent. And and of course some. Um, uh, the Botanic Gardens um, have just had an open day. Um, I know Cranbourne was heavily involved with, with the open day and a lot of the regional Botanic Gardens had activities of one sort or another for yeah, um, the so open day. That was headed up by Began's yes. Botanic Gardens of Australia yes. and New Zealand and they have, mm. or, well, I suppose it's International Australia and New Zealand um, open day for all Botanic Gardens. Yeah. It's... It, it was in late, was it the 28th of, 27th of May? Yeah, it was the end of May. Um, yes. So 
for Melbourne, not the best time of year to have a botanic yeah. gardens open day, but up in the tropics, you know, it's a perfect time of year for it. So, and it's 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 really about you know all getting that getting regional botanic gardens and those smaller botanic gardens, getting them out there and getting you know having one day where everyone's open, mm. get the community involved and and mm. you know for go down to your local botanic garden and visit it. It was it was really good. Mm. It was we really have good such day. a wealth of beautiful botanic gardens. Victoria, Victoria especially. We are so lucky mm. that our Victorian, as in Victorian, as in the era of forefathers, yes. forefathers and then it was mostly forefathers, um, had the foresight to mm. do this, to give us so many regional botanic mm. gardens. Almost every country town yeah. in Victoria has a botanic yeah. garden. It does, yeah. it yeah. does. It may so only be a remnant these days. Mm. Yeah. They are there and they're precious and they need to be... Oh, and many of them, um, mm. people have, have, have been reinvigorated mm. to, to do something mm. with their, their regional yep. botanic gardens. Yep. And um, you're finding yep. lots of very enthusiastic friends groups starting up and yeah. trying mm. to um, yep. to do something with it. Uh, I know that um, every time if, if I happen to be travelling in regional Victoria, the first thing I do if I'm stopping overnight is to see if there's a botanic <laughs> garden in, <laughs> I in, in I the town. the same thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we, we always travel with our own food and we find a botanic garden. So yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but it's, you find some really hidden gems that yeah. you didn't realise existed. Yeah. 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 It's fantastic. Even, even little places like Karoit has a botanic garden, yes. which has the most amazing um, dragon's blood. Tree. Oh, oh. Right. and you know that it's been taken over by most of it by other things. I, I don't think it's Caravan Park; it's something else. But the Port Ferry Botanic Gardens got taken over by the Caravan Park, apart from one small section, which <laughs> is now being really beautifully cared for. But they, it has the most amazing stone pines in it. Wow! Um, so you know, all of them have something. Yeah, they've got exactly a remnant of something tiny. Yes. Yeah, it's so, like a, a remnant yeah. of of a plant that was really popular mm. in the Victorian mm. or in a, in a certain era, or yeah. um, they contain yeah. the rare plants of that region. Mm. Yeah, mm. no, definitely a, a must. Yeah. John travelling at all. John Arnott, the manager of horticulture at Cranbourne, starting up a project through um, with Begans um, called Care for the Rare Project. He's probably okay. spoken about it here before. It's well, he's been away overseas yes, he for a while, so I haven't yeah. caught up with him for a while. He's been riding around Europe. I know. Um, <laughs> there's to get um, rare and endangered plants of a region and get them growing in that local botanic garden. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's in the very early planning stages at the moment and a few and a number of regional botanic gardens have submitted applications to participate in it. That's great. Which is really exciting. So to get, yeah, that rare and that rare, rare flora, get it growing, see how it goes in a horticultural sense, whether it's got more value and, you know, and, and, and sort of range extremes and, and how to go, you know, being a cultivated plant. Mm. Sometimes they're rare and threatened for a reason, mm. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, um, I'm thinking of the chef's cap Coria, Coria bowellinii, very, very restricted mm. naturally, but such a popular, fantastic garden plant. So hopefully that project might be able to bring out some more um, mm. chef's cap Coria plants, you know, that, that, that become very popular in the yeah. garden. Yes. And it's also a really good way of finding out with climate change um, how some of these indigenous plants might be actually able to survive better in slightly different areas too. Mm-hmm. So I think part of it is he's selecting gardens that sometimes are a little bit outside the actual range of some of these plants to yep. see if they're going to thrive in, in the change. Yeah, that's one part of it region. as well. Mm. Yeah. So which is really important research as well. Yeah. Mm. 
So I presume um, they've already got a, a, well, at least a skeleton list of some of these rare and endangered um, species that yeah. they're going to use as a basis to. Yeah, and I think they'll and they'll match that up with the with the. Regional botanic gardens that have applied to participate in yes, the project as well, because they will, it because will be, they're in the area, they will have identified some as well, presumably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they will want to see, you know, what the how far they can push the range yep. of a species. Sure. Yeah, but it will be more focused. It will still be primarily focused on local plants, you know, that rare, rare flora to that region, and, mm. and putting it in the botanic garden in a garden to mm. see how it goes. And it doesn't. It's not. Doesn't have to be. A whole garden bed of rare flora. It can be one tree, one plant, um, and just yeah. see how it goes. Grow it, collect the collect the seeds and genetic material, and mm. and, and see how it see what happens to it. And maintain the species. And maintain it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And potentially grow more for um, for revegetation projects as well. Yes, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah. See how it goes. And it's sort of it's sort of a bit of interest for those regional botanic gardens as well. Those some you know a project rare flora always mm. brings people in. People you know are curious about it. So uh, another idea is to you know it it'd create a bit of interest. In, oh yes. In that town and, and you know people for would sure come and hopefully just look yeah. at it and not yeah. Much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and spend time in the garden yeah spend mm. time in the garden mm. wonderful yeah. Yeah. great project very yeah. good project it's a fantastic idea excellent yeah. okay um, David from Wheeler's Hill has uh, rung in uh, to say that he's got a 40 year old firewheel tree um, flowering right now fantastic yes. Trees. Yes. yes there's a terrific one from memory in the botanic gardens in Melbourne mm. so if you there you'd probably be able to see it there's yeah. another beautiful one we could just talk about the nice specimens bible trees the rest of the show <laughs> <laughs> there's a really nice one in the fitzroy gardens as well okay. just near the corner of spring street yeah and wellington street i think yeah such an amazing tree yeah. often the flowers are too high because they take a while to flower mm. sometimes you can't get a good look at them because they're a bit too high in the tree but if they flower on a younger specimen they're the most interesting flower. oh yes they're amazing yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Proteaceae family, but they look weird. Yes. They just, mm, yeah. and the most beautiful colour. I love them. And David has actually, a big thank you, David. David has actually um, already donated to the gardening show Radiothon, so I do thank you very much for your support. That's great. Penny, you... I've just I've got the new edition of Organic Gardener magazine, and I know I talked about it last time I was here, but um, well, I'm, I wasn't here. So oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm really excited about this because the photograph on the front cover is my photograph, which is only the second time well in done. 15 years wow. of writing for the magazine. But it's the rose that's named after my grandmother. Oh, great! So this is the Lady Woodward rose on the front cover of Organic Gardener magazine. Fantastic! And I'm just so I, I, look, it was totally unexpected because it didn't occur to me that they'd put a rose on the front cover. Being Organic Gardener, they always have fruit or vegetables on the front That's cover. That's really special. And and they just decided that it was a lovely photo and they it would be good to do something different. And Steve, the editor, emailed me and said, "Oh, we've decided to do this." And I thought, "Oh." <laughs> you know, there's not many things that stop you in your tracks when yes. you've been around for a while. Um, but this was one of them. So I was really chuffed. So oh, that's great. If you see the current edition of Organic Gardener magazine with this beautiful pink, and I have to say it's not my favourite colour, <laughs> but I don't have a choice in this. But I, yeah, I was really thrilled. But look, it's also full of uh, really interesting articles as usual. So we've we've got. Um, 
how to create an outdoor fire pit in this oh, cold weather. Um, yep. Might be Justin's done a great article on that. Um, Karen has done a terrific article because uh, she and I were talking recently and there's a lot of emphasis in the, in the magazine about um, growing vegetables. And vegetables are, you know, they're fantastic, but they're a bit of work. Whereas if you've got fruit trees, fruit trees with a minimum of care mm. um, will actually produce food for you year after year after year after year. So the idea was to sort of say, well, you need to think about putting some fruit trees in, even if you've only got a small space. You get huge benefits from, from fruit trees. So... Um, Karen has got this terrific article, this is Karen Sutherland, about starting an orchard for year-round fruit. So if you have an interest in, in growing fruit in your garden, no matter what the size, it's a, it's a really good article. There's also um, an article about seed saving and seeds in Australia because we've had some um, potential issues with the Agriculture Department banning imports of seeds that haven't been treated with fungicides. So... There's a surprising large number of seeds that are sold by our local seed companies that are imported from overseas. Right. And that's partly um, because seed is so expensive to produce that um, people just stop doing it in Australia, although there's been a bit of a turnaround mm. with some people you know, producing a lot more seed in okay. Australia. But... Um, this ban uh, benefits the really big seed companies, yes. so the Monsantos, who don't care about what they spray mm. on their seeds. But it meant that organic growers couldn't use them. So there was a huge, there was a big petition um, that was then followed up with um, talks with the Agriculture Department, and they've agreed that they will come up with other ways of um, being able to make sure that you know, fungal diseases and other diseases aren't brought into Australia, which may mean having to grow them out or doing some of those sort of things. So no one was saying that you shouldn't have to treat the seeds. What they were saying was we need ways to bring them in and still have them being organic. Okay. So this is this is so there's a really interesting article about that in there by by Simon Webster. Um, Justin's written a great article about spuds, uh, which is you know this time of year that you, sh- you can be planting them in frost-free areas. And um, there's a really good article about frost. So it's all about how you can avoid frost by growing in certain parts of the of the garden and um, yeah. So avoiding the frost pockets, and yes. which I'm sure you know, you know all about. <laughs> I know about frost pockets. Creating mini greenhouses and um, you know, growing plants that suit, that do well in frost. Yeah. So all the different tactics that you can use. Yes. Height, heights of plants. Yeah, yes, yes. And, and it's become more important because, again, with our changing climate, we're getting mm. um, more severe frosts yes. in some areas. We're getting, they're coming earlier, they're coming later, mm. um, uh, and totally unexpectedly. And so, more severe too. Yeah, the, yeah. Yes. And, and so the Great Western area had a shocking time last year. Um, with They lost vines that mm. were really old vines due to frost. Mm. Um, and, you know, so, so we all need to think about frost. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so it, I think it's a really good magazine, but particularly because of the cover. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell totally me, tell me who bred the rose. Was it an Australian breeder? Uh, yes, he, uh, a, a right mooler. I was just going to almost forget his name. Last time I talked about it, I had it all written down, so right. I forget. <laughs> yeah, right mooler. He's based in northern New South Wales and he bred, 
um, about 60 cultivars. He, interesting man. He didn't actually start breeding until he retired. Okay. Um, and he and he bred about 60 cultivars. My my grandmother had the rose named after her because um, my grandfather was governor of New South Wales. Yes. And he the governor automatically becomes the patron of the Rose Society. Oh. And his wife automatically gets a rose named after her. <laughs> oh. So I don't know whether that still happens. I didn't know that is, connection. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So that was that was why she had the name. The, okay. the rose named after her. And I didn't know it existed until um, about eight years ago uh, when I found a reference to it in a diary. And I thought, oh, look, I need to find this. And, and I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but I'll shorten it. I, I hunted for it. I talked to people that should, who should have known. I couldn't find it anywhere, so I just gave up. But my daughter, Ellen, then um, tried harder and found it and found it. It's actually growing in the Backers Marsh um, Mattingly Park um, Heritage Rose Garden. Right. Um, so one one rose, and it's all because of the Plant Trust and John Newistick, who is a rose yes. breeder up there. Yes. Um, who preserved Alistair Clark roses and some of the other Australian bred roses? And when he's his nursery sort of um, when he cut back with his nursery, he handed them all over to this um, friends Good. group at Mattingly Park. Um, so they're all growing there in Mattingly Park, including this. One lady woodward rose. You don't. Do you Can you get cuttings? I'm, yeah. I'm taking cuttings. Yes, yes. I did yeah. take cuttings last year, but I have to confess, they didn't every strike. Every single one of them died. Oh. So I'm going. I'm actually going up this morning to take some more cuttings. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. And I, and John very kindly is grafting some for me onto onto some stronger rootstock. So I'm oh, that's that great. Next year. Because I want each of my siblings to have one. Of course. And I want all the... There are 19 grandchildren, so... Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Well. I would really there's like a, There's it a bit if of we cultivating can, to do. If we can make sure that it never goes this close to disappearing. Yes. Yeah. But it's a very personal story, and I actually tell that in the, in the magazine. But it just shows the importance of things like Plant Trust, which um, you know, Stephen is the, is the head of mm. at the moment. Um, and, 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 you know, for me... It, just had this remarkable mm. ability to find this rose that we thought had disappeared. Mm. Um, so yeah, you never know what you whether you know something that you're doing is going to have an impact on on mm. somebody else. So I'm really grateful to Plant Trust, to John Newistig, to the friends of Madding Oh Park, gosh, yes. you know all of them who made it possible for us to find this rose again. Send some cuttings up to Silky's Roses in Clonbany. Yeah, as I was well. I was t- <laughs> talking to. Um, to Graham last time I was on, and, okay. and we we talked a little about this. So yeah, but that was before the magazine. Fantastic, so. yeah. Personal stories. I mean, mm. Stephen and I have just, as as listeners realise, have just been travelling um, in Europe, and um, it's the personal stories that make visiting a garden so wonderful. Because yep. um, in each garden that we went to, um, either the owner or someone related to the owner. Um, was in the garden with us and and it's the personal stories that connect you not only to the garden but the actual plants that they've got in their gardens and it makes it so much more memorable because you also see the personality of the owner coming through in their gardens and um, Mm. I I just love personal stories Mm. of of any any form I think they just make life so Interesting yes. and exciting. Yeah. They're Indeed. really good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so well done to Organic Gardener for featuring it. I think that's that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. No, it was nice. It was good. Okay, we must get to uh, to our next caller. Um, we're going to Ken in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Sorry good to morning. keep you waiting. 
good morning, everybody. Well, it's important to wait, and you, and you, you run such a fantastic and the best gardening program in Australia, I'm sure of it. Oh, good on you. But what I wanted to say was yep. that I don't know whether people heard on the news last night the Liberals had a conference in New South Wales yesterday, and that conference voted to get rid of the ABC. Now, the ABC's gardening program is fantastic, as we all know, and yours is the best. So I'm suggesting people save their money and to help save our program and keep our program go, our gardening program going for next year, please donate. Oh, good on That's you, Ken. That's all Kim. I wanted to say. <laughs> and keep on doing what you're doing. Oh, fantastic. You're all brilliant. Oh, good on you, and Ken. thank you. Okay. Oh, Pam, it's people like Ken that make it worth the long drive in each morning. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, yes. We have such a, a, a loyal a nice group of audience. listeners and yeah. um, we do get worried if we don't hear from them for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yes. so it's great. Yes. That I really... And our, mm. and our listeners are so knowledgeable. Yep. Mm. Uh, they yeah, really you know, are. You know if there's something that you don't know that they'll let you know that what it is. And it's interesting exactly. that we've got a message up there about the salvia that I was talking about. Yes. So the, the pink one that I was talking about is um, salvia. Kowinski, which I actually said wasn't the fruit salad sage. Mm. So some very kind person has rung in and said the fruit salad sage is the salvia dorisiana. Doris, yeah, Doris. okay, um, And it's also known as the fruit scented sage and the peach sage, which it does have a beautiful scent and it is actually edible, but it's different to this one mm. that I've brought in because the Kowinski has much denser heads with more flowers more closely together. Which 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 leads me to also saying that so many of the salvias do have a a name based on their perfume or yeah. if you crush the leaves or yeah. and and in fact um, some of them can be used in cooking, but you've got yeah. you know also not just fruit salad sage but you've got you've got well, lots and lots sage pineapple and sage yeah. springs yeah. straight to mind yeah. but yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Look, there's over a thousand different um, species and cultivars of sage. And most of them are edible, mm. but you do need to be careful because there are a few that aren't. But you're pretty safe with the flowers. So, um, yeah, I, I use the flowers in salads and oh, right. you know, all sorts of things all the time. Mm. Just make sure there's no bee inside. Well, <laughs> or an ant or something. <laughs> well, I, when I do um, the talk and talk, talks that I do, I um, talk about pineapple sage. And I well remember a dinner party in my early 20s. <clears throat> where I'd sprinkled the whole of the top with pineapple sage flowers and had the salad sitting out on the table and we walked in with my guests and I looked at the salad bowl and there was this trail of ants oh, out of no. the salad bowl going down the side of the bowl across the table <laughs> down, <laughs> down the leg <laughs> so I've never made that mistake again so when I pick flowers to go into a salad I set them aside and let all the ants escape before yes. I put them yes. into the salad yes, great idea, Good idea. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> Chloe, we've got a chance to uh, talk about something else you've brought in. Yeah, I brought in a couple of corias as well because they're another fantastic plant that flowers in the cold. at the moment, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, so the first one is this bright orange one uh, called Coria Autumn Blaze. So it's a cultivar of a species uh, called Coria pulchella. Uh, this one is a prostrate ground cover. Um, and it just, it flowers, yeah, autumn blades. So it flowers from the start of autumn and it's just, only just starting to finish off now. There's still so many flowers on the plant. Bright, bright orange flowers. 
and you know beautiful shiny green foliage as well um really really tough plant we've got it growing in front of a brick letterbox facing west right and i hardly i don't order it at all so it get obviously it gets rainwater and then i'll you know, I show it the hose in summer, and that's about it. So, there, it's a really, really tough plant, very, very floriferous, and a fantastic little ground cover. It, I don't, I should prune it more than what I do, um, but it doesn't. It's not straggly or anything. Uh, so, it, you know, prune it every few years, and uh, it just sort of does its own thing. Mm. The other one I have, which it's called, it's called Coriamanii. So it's a nat, it's a garden origin hybrid. Um, probably Coria pulchella cross Coria reflexa um, for those playing at home. Um, bright red flowers on it. Now, I say red, but I'm holding it up against the orange flowers and the pink flowers in here, and it doesn't look as red as it does in the garden. <laughs> uh, the fluoro lights also yeah. drain colour out yeah, of things okay. in here. Yeah, because I was looking at it when I bought it in, I thought, it kind of looks orangey-pink at the moment. Mm. But the, the buds are a slightly different colour, though, too. They are. They're they almost are. a slightly more burgundy colour. Yeah. yeah. But in the garden, it's, it's, called, it's a red flowering courier, which is... The whole tube of the flower is red. You can get, you know, red, green, mm. yellow flower yes, coriers, yes. but this one is totally red, and it's a darker, it's a darker colour red too. Medium shrub. It's quite um, open in its habit, uh, so you do, um, so you do really get to see the flowers because the, the because the shrub is more open. Um, flowers, obviously, at this time of year. Um, really nice. It, it's do, it's doing quite well in shade too. So that's another thing with coriers that they're a plant mm. that flowers in the shade, um, and and it's just it's just a beautiful plant. Um, I really 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 love coriers. <laughs> <laughs> How easy are they to strike, Chloe? They're a bit slow, mm. um, and they form calluses on the ends. So you need to have uh, a node. In, they, they, they can't be internode cuttings. They need, okay. need to be a node at the bottom. Yes. Um, they, they do form a ca- they can form a callus, uh, and if it does, then you can just scrape the callus off, dip it in hormone powder again, and then put it back into um, your propagation mix, and it okay. should um, it should put roots on after that if it hasn't done so initially. Right. Um, but they, yeah, they can be slow. A lot of Australian of the Australian native flora is a bit slower to strike. Than usual. I mean, salvies will strike in, you know, four weeks or something. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe even shorter for some of them. But um, the Coriers, I do know, can be a little bit slower, but they are worth it. Mm. Um, the Coria mania, I don't think, has, has PBR on it, so you could you could do it at home. And a lot of the species Coriers you can would be easy enough to do at home as well. Um, you want to keep it in a warm in a warmish protected spot, and probably propagate them in springtime yes when they're growing so a tip cutting rather than a yeah yes. a tip cutting yep. if you're really desperate for material you can use if you want to get as much out of the material that you have you can use uh, a stem cutting um, you'll just have to give it a li- bit more fel- formative pruning once it strikes once it gets a bit older because mm. it could get a bit branchy um, but the stem cuttings the stem cuttings would strike as well mm. Yeah, they're a beautiful plant. Oh, they're they're, they're so versatile and, mm. and, and such a range of colours. Range of colours, range of sizes as well. Yes. I mean, there's, you know, the mountain coria, Coria laurentiana, which is a large shrub. 
Um, and then there's just so many different varieties of, of the ground covers and the small shrubs. Mm. And there's always, um, they seem to cross really well. So mm. growers are, are always um, producing new varieties. I mean, the Coria Autumn Blaze here has been around for a number of years, but there was one that, come, that came out recently called Coria Ring-a-Ding-Ding, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, it's pretty much... I can't... I, Struggled to tell the difference between ring-a-ding-ding and autumn blaze. So oh, okay. Actually, I have ring-a-ding-ding. Oh, right. I, I actually thought that that was what you had, so I was interested to... I, I think it's slightly redder. It's not quite as okay. orange. As I that, that and one. I also have a feeling that ring-a-ding-ding might be slightly more small, it's more tiny shrub-like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? yeah it's a good and plant and, and not quite as dense a head. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so it's a nice plant, though. It's it doing is a nice plant. Well. Yeah, I was given it, so I shoved it in the garden. Yeah, it's doing quite nice. <laughs> well, we always find a spot yeah. for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think one of the things I was going to say about Corias, and I find I don't have a lot in my garden, but I have half a dozen, I guess, um, particularly the ones where the flowers, where they're not quite so floriferous, they're often the flowers are found fairly densely inside the shrub, a bit like the grevillea you were talking about before. Mm. The little honey eaters are in there feeding on them constantly because they feel safe bouncing around inside this Mm -hmm. bigger bush and finding they can get into the flowers that the wattle birds and the other big birds, you know, aren't going to scare Mm. them away Mm. from. Mm. So I think they're a really important habitat plant. Yeah, they are. Yeah, especially with the shape of the flower. Yes. They are the honey eaters. But it's the smaller honey eaters that tend to use them rather than the bigger right. ones. I've, that's my observation. Yeah. Anyway. I've yeah, seen spine bills in them, but yeah. um, some of mine that I've got at home aren't that... I mean, the, the autumn blaze is, has been in the garden for a number of years, but a lot of my couriers are younger at the moment, so yeah. I haven't had the birds come in yet. Mm. I'm looking forward to mm. it, though. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple of really big bushes, but right. they're not really floriferous where I've got them, but there are enough flowers and... and the bigger birds tend to go to the more showy plants and the mm. smaller birds just love being inside the safety of, of these big birds. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. so you've got, the, yeah, you need, you've got that variety to distract mm. the big birds and yeah. then the little birds will find something yeah. eventually. Mm. Yeah, great. Excellent. I've got one more I want to talk about. Yes, please do. And we can all have a smell because it's, um, okay. it's lemon myrtle. All right. Oh. So I'll hand a leaf to everyone. You can <laughs> just you. spend the rest of today sniffing it. <laughs> I showed this plant to some people who were not plant people a couple of weeks ago and they their minds were blown a little bit. A lot of plant people know about lemon myrtle, mm. I hazard that guess. Yep. Um, just the most beautiful smelling plant. Um, it is, it, in its natural environment, it grows quite large. I mean, it's... It'd be a small to medium tree, but in cultivation it doesn't get that big and it's very, very prunable. Um, so... Because you can use it in teas and in cooking, um, you know, you can pull off a few leaves and tip prune mm. it every now and then to get that new growth that you're going to cook with. Um, it's it, it's easy to keep it dense and keep it under control. Um, but it just has the most incredible smell. It's sherbety yeah. um, mm. and I just and citrusy. Um, I just I absolutely love it. Mm. Um, and the flowers on it are really nice too. At the end of, when is it flower? At the end of summer? Mine's actually in flower at the moment. Oh, but it's still got flowers on it. Wow. Yeah, and it's looking fabulous. I yeah. love the flowers. Yeah, they're beautiful. It's yeah. just like they, a, they grow at the top of yeah. the plant. So as long as your plants aren't too big, you get this fabulous array of creamy yellow flowers with sort of spiky, well, typical Myrtaceae. Um, yeah. 
flouts and yeah, it's just, just gorgeous. Yeah, the, and if you do, I mean, mine's very small at the moment because mm. they're quite slow growing. Yeah, mine's only sort of twice, yeah. you know, sort of a <laughs> metre high. Yeah. And, yeah, they get covered in those mm. flowers and mm. they're just beautiful. And the summer, they are hard to strike by cuttings. Have you yeah. ever tried to no. grow them? No, I just bought a plant. Yeah, um, they are hard to strike. At this time of year, it's usually about this time of year that um, it is best for the cuttings to be put in. But you can grow them via seed. So the easiest way to do it is just pick off the seed pods and and lo- put them in some um, propagation mix or some seed raising mix and just lightly cover them and leave them as is. The seeds in the little pods that we've got here, the seeds are tiny. You can't really extract the seed out of okay. the fruit. Yes. Um, if you just just cover cover it and um, put them, put them, sort of sit them on top of some mix and cover it a little bit, and and they should they 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 should germinate. We did germinate some um, at the gardens nursery, okay, um, but just by sitting the seeds, just by sitting the seed pods yep. on top of some yep. mix, um, it was a bit easier than the cuttings because the cuttings just sit just sit there for ages. Mm, they take okay. a long time to strike. It's strive. like um, bay trees, you know, they they're really yeah. hard to grow from cuttings too. It's funny so. you say that because. A lot of people say that the lemon myrtle is sort of the native bush food form of a bay tree. No. Well, <laughs> different, totally <laughs> yeah. different flavour, but yeah. I mean... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, half, they're strong, tough leaves yeah. and shiny yeah. leaves, so there's that similarity. They grow as a tree, but... Yep. There are, I wouldn't there are, use it in a spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> yeah, but there are several different forms of the bacchasia that have different um, flavoured Yes, leaves so the one too, we're talking so about is citria dora. Yeah. There's um, aniseed. Yeah, and there's myrtle. also a um, there's cinnamon myrtle. Yeah, there's cinnamon. Um, yeah, so there's a, but they they tend to be more tropical. Yes. So they're harder to grow in Victoria. Yeah. Whereas um, this one is. Yeah, the lemon myrtle does really well. Mm. Yeah. Um, if you've got a protected spot, you can grow the aniseed and the cinnamon yeah. myrtles. Yeah. Um, if you can f- if you can find them in a nursery, um, but the citriodora, the lemon myrtle, is, mm. is mm. more easily. Uh, what's, available. what's the situation with myrtle rust at the moment? It's under control. Because you're not, I'm not hearing bay. as it's much about at it at the moment. So um, yeah, uh, I don't, I, I don't know the total up to date um, information on it, but it is, it's sort of being kept at bay. Well, that's um, great. Yeah, it's it's really good. A, a lot of places have, you know, lem, um, lemon rust, <laughs> <laughs> myrtle, uh, rust. myrtle rust. Um, procedures that they've just sort of kept in place, you know, mm. just in case. So yes. I think those those sort of ongoing procedures and precautions um, by other nurseries and, and growers and mm. um, and general plant hygiene, I think, has, yes. has been keeping it at bay, which is really but, nice. But I think there was a real fear that it was going to spread rapidly into native forests. There yeah. was. Yes. And I don't was. think that's happened. I Certainly I've not read about it happening. I haven't read about it either. Anywhere. Um, so maybe maybe it's a it's a disease of sort of cultivated places Perhaps. rather than and the in the bush that there are um, natural um, ways well that <coughs> has stopped it from mm. spreading. Mm. I, uh, look, I may be wrong, but I'm surprised that over the you know since we first got very worried about it, we haven't seen the death of large tracts of forest yeah. as a result. Yeah. So Do we still have the restriction of taking? Um, you know, a plant specimen into the botanic gardens? I think they're quite less at um, the Melbourne Gardens, but at Cranbourne, because we're surrounded by the bushland, don't bring any material in full at stop all. at yes. all. Um, and if any sort of Mertesi, uh material is brought in, either whether we buy it from a nursery or whether it um, 
we just get material in for whatever other reason. Um, we we spray it, we treat it, okay. uh, and just sort of quarantine it for a day or so until that that treatment dries off. Right, and then it's usually fine. Nurseries are really onto it. And they'll lose all credibility if they sell plants that yeah. that contain oh, yes, metal yeah. rust. So they're, they're pretty, um, yeah, they're very careful yep. about it. Excellent. About it so um, it has, I think it, yeah, it did. There, they thought that there was some on some stock that came in at the gardens, but I think it was some another type of rust. It wasn't too bad, but yeah, quite vigilant about it. But the the precautions have been relaxed. Recently, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, still you can't bring any can't bring in any material. And if you do, if you're desperate to get an ID or need some help with something, bring it in in a plastic bag and just sort of leave it in there. Okay. Um, if anyone comes in yep. looking for help with something like well that, well sealed plastic. Well bag. sealed, correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We've had um, a comment from a listener from the outside line. Um, he's rung in to say that uh, Grevillea sylvia can cause serious skin reactions, rashes and blisters, similar to Grevillea robin gordon. He has one in his garden and reacts to it. Um, he, it has hairs on the leaves and the seeds, so I guess that's what's causing the reaction. Um, and gardeners just need to know in case they um, they do react to it, so they can oh, that's good protect to know. themselves. Yeah, so I don't know anyone that's obviously that it's not hurt. had a problem. No, I haven't. So that's good to know that you've got to be careful and with Sylvia as well. I haven't heard of moonlight causing that problem, and, and yeah. it's so closely related. But look, there are people allergic to almost every plant. Mm. Given the right circumstances, so yeah. you do need to be aware yeah. of that. And I, I know my daughter is allergic to some lavenders, and that's right. sort of built up over time of, of handling them. Um, okay. So it's not really serious, but she gets rashes as yeah. soon as she starts trying to cut them back or do anything. Mm. Yeah. So you, know, you just you never know what is going to cause a, yeah. a, res, a physical response to and something. And that's another Any, anything that's got oils in the leaves yeah. or anything. Or like hairs. That. Or hairs. See, yeah. I, I get a reaction from flomus. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, that's got a hairyness mm. to the leaf. I, I just wouldn't have said they were very hairy. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have either. They're not but, yeah. super spiky, but, but look, yeah, you I, never yeah, know. By all means, take care. I yeah. always wear gloves. In I was going to say, always. long you, sleeves. You too, can often get yeah, long yeah. sleeves or long sleeved gloves. You can yeah. get yeah. You know, the sort of rose pruning gloves. I have to wear. say that in winter, what I do is cut the the feet off old socks and I use the socks <laughs> on my arms. Cause no, that's a great idea. idea. I never, it's a really great idea. Because I'm tall, um, yep. jumpers are never long enough for me. Yeah. So I get really cold arms. So I use um, use old socks. No, that's to great protection. my arms and yeah, my gardening like gloves. <laughs> I must do that if I'm ever trying to pull out sticky weed because yeah. that's, that's yeah. atrocious well, you stuff. You get sticky weed all over the socks. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but at least it's yeah. not affecting yeah. your skin because, again, I come up in yeah. a big rash yeah. from that. Yeah. yeah, no, it's a good. I started doing it when I was riding my bike. Okay. And I didn't. I, I didn't have. I've now since bought longer gloves. But when I had short, a lot of cycling gloves are quite short and only mm, cover, yes. your, cover your hand. Yes. And so I had this really cold gap in between. And actually, my son suggested to me, you know, why don't you cut some some of your old socks up and use them. <laughs> And I'd started doing that, and then I realised how great they'd be in the garden as well. So, yes. Yeah. No, that's a brilliant <laughs> idea. I like it. And then they go into the compost. Right. Because they're woolen socks. So, yes, of course. So they go, actually go into the worm farm, over the top of the worm farm, okay. until the worms digest yeah. them, and then yes. they go back into the garden. So. That's great. That's a circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the hint for the day. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's fantastic. Penny, veggie garden. It's, I know we're into winter. What's yeah, happening in yours? Um, look, not a lot. I've been a bit slack again because I've just been so busy, but I, I finally got my garlic in <clears throat> right at the beginning of June. I promised myself I wouldn't do that again, but um, it just sort of stretched out a bit. And, and it's growing. The garlic's coming up beautifully and doing really well. I put um, potatoes in it a totally different time this year, so I planted in okay. autumn because I don't get frosts being near the sea, um, and they're doing brilliantly. I've had trouble with potatoes with um, leaves getting eaten and with some fungal problems, and I thought, well, I'll just try them at a totally different time mm. of year. Fingers crossed, they're, they're the healthiest potatoes I've ever grown, okay. so I'm really pleased about that. Have you put those direct into your veggie garden? Yeah. Because I've... Stephen and I both had massive problems, particularly with purple potatoes, because okay. we both made the mistake of putting them directly into our veggie yeah. gardens. And I'm still... They I'm, keep coming up. They still... Yeah. I'm, I'm, I've been trying to eradicate them for years now, yeah. and you don't see them because yeah. they're purple. Yeah, but they know, can also be and they, tiny, and yeah, oh, you just miss them. When you, you miss all the little ones. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've got potatoes growing wild in my garden. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, well, a, they, lo- I think a lot of us have. <laughs> yeah. But it, to me, that in a way, that's a sort of a bonus because suddenly you've got this potatoes that you can dig yeah. that you didn't have to plant. But, um, I've also got silver beet growing. I've just put in um, some lettuces. Um, okay. So I range of, you know, winter, because, again, my garden doesn't get too cold, there's, um, it's a really nice time to grow to grow lettuces and rockish and, mm. and those sort of things. Mm. Um, I haven't got my um, brassicas in. It just hasn't happened yet. It's bec- it's partly because I I use my veggie beds. Um, I have eight of them, uh, raised beds, and I use them as one of my compost bins. So one bed is my compost bin. Yes, and I fill it with with compost. Um, and, but it means that I've, in my rotation schedule, I need to be able to sort of move to another bed. And one of the other beds has the temporary chook pen on the top of it. All oh, right. I need, I need some help to move that. And yes. It just all got a bit complicated and yes. because I've been so busy. I, so the bed I wanted to plant the brassicas into is not quite available yet. So right. I will put them in. Uh, um, peas and you don't think peas. it's too late? Um, the main, it's not too late, um, particularly for if you put in broccoli, so a sprouting broccoli, and then if you're prepared to net it in spring. Mm. So it's only, it is only becomes too late if, um, because of the cabbage yes. moth butterflies. Yeah. Um, and that's why I generally get them in quite early and grow them through winter. Um, but I actually last year had broccoli plants that I grew for nearly 18 months and they just kept sprouting. Okay. Not right. a huge crop, but no, no. again, because I was really busy, I didn't pull them out and I just kept going out there and finding more. Great. <laughs> them and harvesting them. <laughs> what variety, and what variety was it? It was a green sprouting right. um, broccoli. And, and I then put the chooks, I put the chook pen on top of it and put the chooks in there and they had a ball. Oh, oh they yeah, would. So they cleaned up the broccoli. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I I don't mind doing that. I can I can net that bed and um, keep keep harvesting broccoli. Mm. So, uh, and the other thing I've got in, of course, is peas. Yes. So, you know, it's a really good time of year for peas. But yeah, so I'm, it's a bit I'm been a bit slack this year. But I, one of these days, um, I will. You know, the tomato book is almost there. Ah. We've got final proofs have come back from the actually page proofs from the from the printer. Oh, great! And we're just um, having to go through those and fix a couple of photos. But apart from that, 
Um, it should wow. We should get advanced copies in a month or so. Oh, yes. that's exciting! Yeah, very yeah. exciting. So yes, so but that's been a very very long process, but it'll be great, and I think it's going to be beautiful. So excellent. I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Terrific. I just had a message from A.B. Bishop, who most people would know, saying that um, in nature nematodes and protozoa help keep naughty fungi like the myrtle rust under control. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there must be something. Certainly protozoa are amazing things. Mm. They keep all sorts of things under control. And the wonderful thing about them is that they're worms' favourite food. So if you've got lots of protozoa in your garden, you'll also have lots of worms. Mm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you try and grow any veggies, Chloe? I grew not a lot. I'm battling weeds in my garden at the moment. So at the moment I just keep trying to pull the weeds out, but I need to plant things to stop the weeds from growing. I grew pumpkins this year and <clears throat> I thought, uh, I'll just, I know, you know, pumpkins go bananas. So I bought a punnet. Normally punnets have about six plants yes. in them. So this punnet had three plants in it. I thought, well, that'll do me, you know, enough pumpkins for one person. <laughs> and I... I still have two pumpkins left in the pantry at the moment. Mm. They, I had so many. Luckily, I had the foresight to put them in an area of the garden where they were. It was large enough, and they yes. could just do their own thing. It was very, and I hardly had to do anything to mm. them. They were so. Mm. They got a little bit of powdery mildew. So, what sort of pumpkin were they? The butternut, just the okay. butternut oh, squash yes. variety. Yep. Yeah, they. Yeah, they had a little bit of powdery mildew, but it didn't affect. All um, pumpkins get powdery mildew. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's part not, of the senescence of yeah. pumpkins. Yeah. I was reading so. about powdery mildew and, you know, you can put vegetable dust on it, but they get, it didn't really affect the plant that much. No, but usually in our climate, uh, you don't have to worry about the powdery mildew because it only happens at the it end comes of the late. season. And if you remove the first leaves that have powdery mildew on them, <clears throat> that helps to slow it down. Um, but then... You, it's part of natural senescence and, mm. and the, the plants die. Mm. Um, so in some areas, in subtropical areas, you can get them in spring. Yeah, okay. And that's when you need to treat. And yep. Actually, the best thing to treat it with is milk. Yeah, that's what I've used on it in yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah. so a nine-one solution. Nine yes, yes. Yeah. And the tomato plants I had, I didn't get around to putting to staking them, mm. but they so they ended up being like prostrate <laughs> tomato <Yeah>. plants. <laughs> But That's I think right. because because the plants didn't have to compete with gravity, the fruit on them was huge. I, one of the varieties um, was the Rouge de Marman variety. I oh, yeah. So they're, they're a big fruit anyway. But Mum mm. and I both, I put we put the same diggers variety. Um, it was a, one of the zebra type varieties. Yeah. yeah, green zebra. I think it was green zebra. Yeah. yeah. We put each put those in, and mine were prostrate, and hers she staked hers, and they all looked really nice. But mine were twice the size, and I think it's because they didn't have to compete with gravity because I didn't <laughs> stake them in time. They yeah. were beautiful yeah. and, you know, didn't have to do anything to them. So yeah. I only put pumpkin and, and, and tomato in okay. this yep. summer. That's fine. Yep. The problem with tomatoes on the ground is that they're more susceptible to being eaten by mice and rats and yeah. all, all sorts, sorts of things. Of things. Yeah. Yes. And they're also more susceptible to fungal disease. I wouldn't so promote it. Yeah. No, no. I think, I, look, I, I, tomatoes can be grown in all sorts of yeah. different ways. And I, I think it's fantastic. But if you haven't grown tomatoes before, yes. then that is why your tomatoes have done really well. In the next two or three years, if you keep growing tomatoes, you will find you will have some fungal yeah, and diseases. And if you keep putting in the them soil, in the same spot, you need to you need to get them up. Off yeah, the mm. yeah. Um, so yeah, but the other thing that you can do if you don't want to stake them is that you can put um, open mesh over it and actually grow oh, the tomatoes right. through them, and then they actually sit 
just slightly off the soil yeah. instead of on the soil. That's a good idea. Yeah. So you can still let them sprawl. Yeah. Yeah, this amazing tomato book that's coming out in a few months has got all these suggestions in it. This I'll is have the to section, buy it. This is the section that Karen has written. It's full of fantastic oh, ideas. Cool. I have to. I have to ask you. Did you did you end up um, talking about tomato dust? No. No. It's an organic book. You don't use tomato. No, no, no. I don't. I don't Sorry. mean the. Um, I mean the powdered tomato as used oh, in no, restaurants because no, I remember we no, we were no. both at the same yeah, um, dinner that's and, right. and that yes, was with tomato dust. Yes, no, we didn't. You, <laughs> we, I, because um, I wasn't involved with the recipe section. Okay, I didn't mention tomato dust. <laughs> what all. is tomato dust? Oh, it's it's just basically dried powdered tomato. tomato. I, I think they actually use make it out little, of the skins. So I think there that may makes be because it'd be more um, yeah. brittle when it's dried. Yeah. yeah. And, and in a way, it's a good thing because quite often tomatoes get peeled and if you then dry the skins and turn them into dust, then, then at you're least not you're not throwing them, them yes, out yes. and wasting them. Yeah. But I just think we go <laughs> over the top <laughs> with food. And, I mean, we should be it keeping, might be fine for a simple. chef yes, who's in yes, a you know, yes. three-star, yes. three-hatted restaurant. I just, I just eat my tomato skins anyway. So, you yeah, know. I, I never peel can, a tomato. Who can be bothered peeling tomatoes? No, no I no. agree. Yeah, I'm, so sure, I'm sure half the goodness is in the yeah, skin. It is, and it particularly is. if you're growing the, if you're eating the black tomatoes, which mm. have the anthocyanin in the skin, yeah, and it doesn't usually go into the fruit, yes, um, except just below the skin. So if you take the skins off those, you get none of that anthocyanin. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So you should always eat the skins. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't peel carrots. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't peel I've anything. No, I just wash. <laughs> yeah, just wash. <laughs> just wash and yeah. yeah. Definitely. I mean, it applies to, well, potatoes. I mean, I, yeah, potatoes. I think back to, you know, my mother's um, time and, and every cook was taught to peel everything, yeah. you mm, know, yeah. and and was just, and it was a revelation to start eating vegetables with the skins, skins on. Yeah, yeah. And it really fla- was, and, and the, the flavour so much better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. and the nutrition value is so much yeah. better. So yeah. definitely, all of that. Yes. Yeah. I tell you what, it's refreshing. I, I, I think um, listeners should really take note that. I mean, we all talk about we don't get round to doing things, or we do things the wrong way, or we've let our we haven't staked the tomatoes, <laughs> or we still haven't put in the broccoli yet. Mm. Um, there's no right and wrong, and That's I right. think people sometimes get very scared that. Everything has to be done by the rules and mm. we have to do things yeah. the right way and you don't. No. I'd far rather that some of our listeners who've never tried to grow something like a pumpkin just have a go. Yeah. Yep. Put a seed put the seed in. Put a seed in. It's so much fun and you learn from, yeah. from having it's the all experience. A experience. Yep. Yes, exactly. And, and you do lose plants, you know. We Of course we, you lose we yeah. all lose plants. And it was interesting when you were saying before that you loved um, visiting the gardens and seeing people's personality. Anyone who came to my garden at the moment would think I was the most chaotic person. <laughs> I actually am quite an organised person, but my garden is chaos. And, and I love the fact that we're all talking about sort of creating environments and, and environmental gardens and gardens for biodiversity because yes. my mm. garden is perfect for biodiversity. <laughs> <laughs> but it's full of weeds. It's a wilderness. Moment, Mine's usual. full of weeds it too. A, it, yeah, and because of the slightly milder, until recently, slightly milder climate, the weeds are growing really well. Mm. Yep. So we used to have a break in winter from weeds, but with this weird climate, yeah, getting, used to, they we, used to go we dormant. now have to mm. weed right through yeah, winter as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that also brings me to another point that I think is really good to make. And if, if you're 
less scrupulous about being tidy in the garden, let things go to seed because yeah. it's so good for your beneficial insects. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we keep forgetting about them. And, and, and gardeners think uh, as soon as something's starting to go to seed mm. or go into flower, oh, got to rip it out, yeah. you know, and, and they end up leaving potentially yeah. Um, bare soil if mm. they haven't had time to plant mm. something else in there mm. which will bring on all your terrible weeds just just leave whatever's gone to seed and gone to flower yep. because in, insects are going to benefit so much and yep. you may as well have a plant that you like become a little bit weedy for mm. you anyway you may mm. as well have yep. that growing a little mm. bit more in your garden I, I in my garden I've, at the moment some of my best crop is is a self-sown perennial spinach that's come up in part of the garden that I haven't weeded but it's out competing the grass which oh, is good. fantastic great and the other is is some um, some land cress which is a really nice peppery salad plant that has actually come up in the lawn so in the area that actually gets mowed <laughs> we have these fabulous rosettes of land crests oh beautiful <laughs> you say don't mow don't yeah, mow well, yeah. no, no, so far the mower still goes over the top because we mow quite high but oh, um, okay. when they eventually put up start growing upwards then I'll have to sort of stop harvesting them or move them or <laughs> yeah. do something but I have this fabulous salad plant coming up in the middle of the lawn so mm. Yes. yes, there are benefits to, to not getting things done perfectly. I yeah. think there are lots mm. of benefits. And, and they've just, uh, I mean, I've only heard just recently too that, that bees are benefiting, benefiting yeah. so much more mm. from untidy gardens. Yeah. Mm. And it's really important for some of our native bees to actually have untidy gardens yes. because they need, in particular, some of them, there are some of them that need unmulched soil. That's um, right. To be able to put their burrows into. So if your garden is perfectly tidy, um, and it's mulched within an inch of its life, within an inch of its life. So every time I sort of don't get around to doing the mulching and those sort of things, I sort of pat myself on the back oh, and good. say, "Well, there's some more <laughs> native bees that are going to survive." <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of native bees, for instance, that that make their homes in in clay banks yeah, and yeah. yeah. Well, it's know, those ones that it's I'm those ones about. that really yeah. need to survive yeah. without a tidy yes. garden. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> listeners, feel feel positive about gardening. I yeah. think that's the message. Two professionals and we're lazy gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> oh, add me into it. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Okay, we're fast uh, running out of time. Um, a big reminder to everybody, of course, that um, next Sunday is the Gardening Show Radiothon. I can't emphasise this enough because um, we have been madly collecting all sorts of product. Um, we've got so many books and magazines and, um, as I say, seeds and tools. I must say a big thank you to all the, um, all the industries that have so kindly donated again to us this year because they also want to see um, 3CR and the gardening show um, running for the next 12 months and, and they've very, very generously donated all sorts of amazing things uh, to help us to bribe you all to, to grab some great product um, and in turn give some money to uh, 3CR and the gardening show. Um, we will, of course, be on air from 7.30 running right through till 10 o'clock um, next Sunday. So um, that means uh, some of the programs that normally follow on after from us are suspended for next Sunday. So um, things like Alternative News and the Concrete Gang will be suspending their programs to give us that extra on-air time um, for the Radiothon. Um, 
The, the station will be manned by volunteers to take your calls. There'll be a volunteer on every single phone around the station to, to take your calls or you can donate online. You can send uh, checks or money orders into the station. You can definitely come down. If you don't know what you want, then just come down at 10 o'clock and have a look at what we've got and make a choice. And, and come uh, down and say hi. Absolutely come down and say hi. Come and have a lemon slice. I've gone to the trouble of making them again, so come <laughs> down and make them because I can't eat them all. And have a cup, uh, have a, a cup of coffee. Um, but do come down, do support us, and uh, we really look forward to next week to seeing you all. A big thank you to uh, the team on air this morning and also to Jan and Liz who've been handling all the calls this morning. But uh, we will be back on our Radiothon Day next Sunday. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.